that's the thing. When people start to approach their life in different ways, they start to see just how their life can change. Hi, my name is Gabriella Denry, MD, Life Coach at Doc Working, and welcome to the Whole Physician Podcast. I'm excited today to bring my next guest, Dr. Philippe Douyon, who is a neurologist and has a really interesting take on how that can help with brain health and how brain health helps with physical, emotional, and mental health. So, Dr. Douyon, welcome to the Whole Physician Podcast. Thank you for being here today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk with you. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to start right off and ask you about kind of your medical journey. How did you get from neurologist to leading your own institute on brain health? Well, I think in part, it's because I've been a patient my entire life. So before I became a doctor, I was diagnosed with kidney disease when I was 18 years old and went through college in kidney disease, went through medical school in kidney disease. And eight days after graduating from medical school, I walked into the operating room at New York Presbyterian Columbia and had a kidney transplant. And at that time, my father was my donor. And so that really gave me just a unique perspective on healthcare, on how to approach a chronic illness, because you know I still went through college with a chronic illness. I went through medical school and kidney failure. And so the more that I learned about the brain as a neurologist, I took my personal experience, my professional experience, put all of that together and really started formulating ideas on how to best help patients. And after years of really helping patients with my unique perspective, that's when I decided to form my own institute. So we're gonna talk about your institute in a minute because I just have to say my heart kind of just went, whoa, because I didn't know that part of your story that your father was your donor and you know having to deal with a chronic illness as you were going through medical training kind of gave you an interesting perspective. Can you share with us what that perspective would be. I mean, it probably goes into the conversation about the Institute, but it's like, well, what shifted for you as a medical doctor and a patient as you're going through this process? Yeah, you know, I think the really unique thing is that as a doctor who's always seeing patients, you really see patients begin to completely identify with their disease, right? And there are terms that we sometimes use where it's almost like they become their disease. So I'm an epilepsy specialist by training, and so, you know, you'll have patients that will say, oh, I'm an epileptic, or a doctor will say that patient's an epileptic, as if that is the only thing going on in that person's life, right? And so as a person who's experienced kidney failure, you know, that's part of my story, but that's not the entire story. I'm also a father, I'm a son, I'm a friend, I'm an author. There's so many different aspects to who I am. And so it really depends on what you decide to focus on. And so sometimes people will ask me, well, how did you get through college and kidney failure? How did you get through medical school and kidney failure? And well, there was always a bigger picture. That wasn't just the only aspect of my life. That wasn't the only thing that I was focused on. Sometimes it felt almost like a nuisance, right? As opposed to really who I was. There were all these other things, right? I was an athlete. I was a college athlete. And so really there were all these other aspects to my life and to who I was. And so as I began to learn about the brain as a neurologist, I began to realize what we focus on is so incredibly important. And we know that with patients, right? We know that patients will do better when they're not so focused on themselves and what they're going through in that moment, but they're also thinking about others and how they can better other aspects of their life or better other people. And that's what I was doing when I was going through my education, right? There was this 
other thing that I needed to focus on. I needed to get my college degree. Then I needed to get my medical degree so that I can help other people get healthier. And so that really helped me along the way. And that helps also my patients because I have a completely different perspective. It's not just about popping a pill. It's about all the other things that you can do in your life to really help you get healthier. Well, that's interesting to me because I think as a primary care doc, it was kind of a similar situation. It's, as you said, a patient identifies with their diagnosis. And after a while, my diabetes, my hypertension, to be able to really just get attached to it in those ways, like psychologically, emotionally. And at the same time, it's like, but that's not all that you do and all that you are. And, you know, I've been a doctor and I've been a patient as well. And so, yes, there are times when it's easy to kind of get lost in the sauce sometimes, right? And how do you pull yourself out of it in your experience? You know, because in my own personal experience with medical illness and diagnoses, you know, there were moments where I'm like, well, how the hell did I get here? I'm supposed to be a doctor. I'm supposed to be healthy. What's wrong? So how do you get out of those kind of dark places, do you think? Or do you experience them? Yeah, I think we all have our moments where we experience those sort of dark places, right? Where I know for me, especially when I was in my 20s and in kidney failure, there were moments where I was really angry. There were moments where I was really down on myself. You know, I was in my 20s. I was not supposed to be sick, right? And then I was becoming a doctor on top of that. I was supposed to be the epitome of health, right? And so you're juggling all these different emotions. But, you know, now I'm in my 40s and actually I just had my second kidney transplant after I got really sick with COVID, went through dialysis, and recently was lucky enough to have my second kidney transplant. And just with the experience that I've had over the years, it was a completely different approach to it this time, you know, and it was still a lot of times taking the focus off myself. That's one of the things that I realized, at least for me and for others, in those moments where you are down on you. Take the focus off yourself and do something really good for somebody else. And being a doctor allows us to do that, right? Because we're always focused on other people. And so that really allows me to get out of those darker moments. I think that's such a precious thing to say. It's like when you want to break that cycle of negativity, I've been in those cycles of self-pity. I'll just call it what it is, you know. And somebody says, well, serve, Gabriella. Break the cycle by serving, by doing something good for someone else. I think that that is a huge lesson to share and to have learned and to continue learning. So thank you for sharing that with us. So tell me about the Brain Institute, because you talk about how your thoughts and how managing one's mind is just as important as managing one's body. Is that kind of your approach or am I making stuff up? No, that's definitely part of it, right? So science tells us that we have anywhere between 12,000 and 60,000 thoughts per day. And I don't know how they count these thoughts, but that's what the science tells us. And 60 to 70% of those thoughts are negative. And not only that, but 90 to 95% of those thoughts are the same exact thoughts that we had yesterday. And so when people are trying to change their lives, the first thing that they need to do is change the way that they think about their lives, change the way that they think about themselves. Because the thoughts that we have really govern the actions that we're going to take. And so changing the way that you think about things is incredibly important to getting healthy, to being successful, to creating the life that you want for yourself, right? And so a lot of patients that we see are engaged in that self-pity, or it's almost like they're waiting almost for their next attack, right? So I said I was an epilepsy specialist. There are patients that I'll see that haven't had a seizure in six, seven months. 
And when I see them and I say, well, what have you been doing for the last six or seven months? They're like, oh, nothing. I'm an epileptic. But you haven't had a seizure in six or seven months. Are you just waiting for the next one to occur? Right? And so changing the way that we think about our health, I think, is really important. So what changes would you encourage someone to make, starting with their thoughts and how they think about their health? How do you get them to make those kind of shifts? So I think having new experiences is really, really important. So a lot of people are living the same day over and over again, right? They have the same morning routine. They talk to the same people. They go to the same places. And our brains thrive on newness, right? When we have new experiences, that allows our brain to make new neurons, new connections. So that's incredibly important. I tell people all the time, being a creature of habit is literally killing your brain. So I think having new experiences is incredibly important. The other thing that's really important is physical exercise. Exercise is one of the most powerful things that you can do for your brain health. It's the biggest promoter of neuroplasticity, your brain's ability to make new neurons and new connections. So it's not just great for the body, it's great for the brain. And it's probably the most powerful anti-anxiety, antidepressant treatment that we have. So those would be the two things that I would say that people can do to get started, to sort of get themselves out of the rut. Once a patient gets underway, does something different, talks to somebody new, changes up their routine a little bit, start thinking about nutrition and exercise and those kinds of other factors that come into play to brain health, what surprises them about their results? So I think one of the biggest surprises is how their life begins to change, right? And so they're certain illnesses that you're not going to cure. Most illnesses you're probably not going to cure unless they're lifestyle diseases and you're changing your lifestyle. But that doesn't mean that you don't manage them differently. That doesn't mean that the symptoms don't start to dissipate. There was one time I took care of a police officer who was having multiple seizures. But a lot of it was really stress-induced from his job. And so when we would talk about that stress, And we would talk about ideally what he wanted his life to look like. He actually didn't want to be a police officer anymore. He wanted to do something else. And so I encouraged him to follow what his passion was. He created this entire new business on his own. And his seizure episodes didn't 100% go away, but they significantly decreased, improving the quality of his life, improving his relationship with his family. And he was just in a much different place. And I think that's the thing. When people start to approach their life in different ways, they start to see just how their life can change. I mean, that's a powerful story right there. And sometimes the changes can be very subtle and sometimes like huge, such as this one. But there's always an improvement in hope. And to be honest, one of my favorite patients was a woman who was on dialysis. And she had a goal when I asked her what her vision was. And she said, well, I want to get off dialysis. (laughs) And it seemed like such an outlandish, impossible goal. But because of that, and she could actually see it, taste it, and feel it, she changed her dietary habits, her exercise habits, just everything went overnight. More so than me saying, well, this is what you have to do. This is what you have to eat. This is what you can't eat, et cetera, et cetera. There was no motivation there, but the motivation had to come from her. And so I appreciate the fact that, you know, once you ask this person, what do you see yourself? You know, what, what else is there for you? And they already had thought about it, which has always surprised me. People already think about what it is that they see for themselves, but there's kind of that fear of bringing it out and expressing it. So the fact that you asked probably helped him give himself permission to go for it. 
which was, I think, is also part of what you do as a healer, not just as a neurologist, because most people would say, okay, you didn't get a seizure. Great. I'll see you in three months. And that's not what you did. So I'm totally, totally impressed. So that's the focus of your work as you're focusing on brain fitness. And so I understand that you also teach courses and you speak about it, that you've written a book. Tell us a little more about that. Yeah. So, you know, we've learned so much more about the brain in the last 20 years than we have in the, probably the previous 100 or 200 years. And one of the big things that we learned is that our brains are constantly changing. They're constantly evolving with every thought that we have, every action that we take. And so I wrote a book about that called Neuroplasticity, Your Brain's Superpower, because the reality is that if you can change your brain, then you can change your life, right? Because if you're changing your brain, that means you're changing the thoughts you're having and the actions that you take. And nobody becomes healthier. Nobody becomes successful without taking charge of their brain. And so I also created an online course to help people with chronic medical illnesses, neurological illnesses, really take charge of their brain so that way they can get healthier. So that way they can create the life that they want for themselves. So that way they can be successful in whatever that means for them. And, you know, the course is really based both on my personal history as well as my professional history. So it combines that to really help people. Excellent. I'm curious about Nuri the Neuron. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow, so you're not only trying to teach adults about taking charge of your brain, but you're also trying to reach children. So tell me more about Nuri the Neuron. Yeah, so Nuri is a little character that I created to help kids really learn about how everything that they do impacts their brain. And if we can start teaching kids at a young age how who they spend time with, the exercises that they engage in, the foods that they eat, how much sleep that they're getting, all of that has an impact on how their brain evolves then I think we open up a completely different world to them. So I created this little character. I've got two little boys myself, 10 and eight. So I ran it by them, <laughs> got their approval for it. And we're about to have the third Nuri the Neuron book. Awesome. So what was your son's reactions to Nuri the Neuron? So they really liked it. You know, once you're a parent, doesn't matter what you do, you're not that cool to your kids, right? But they really, really liked it. And I've read it to them several times and they always really enjoy it. And what do you think they've learned about the brain? And have you seen it in their actions? Yeah, so I've been teaching them about the brain since they were babies. I used to literally sit them on my lap while I was reading EEGs, you know, and show them all these squiggly lines. But I have conversations with them about the brain all the time. I recently had a conversation with them about the brain with regards to their thoughts and how their thoughts are the one thing they have absolute control over. And that fact alone has a significant impact on how they go about their lives. And so now there are times where they say, yeah, puppy, that's right. It's your thoughts that you have absolute control over. Do you think that in general, for adults or children, that helps them mitigate stress? You know, because the circumstances may not change on the outside, but how you deal with it on the inside makes a big difference. Yeah, you know, I think so. I think once you realize, look, there are things that you're not going to be able to control in your life, but you can certainly control the thoughts that are coming in from, you know, the TV that you're watching, the newspaper that you're reading, the books that you're reading, or you can decide, you know, if a thought comes into your head to sort of push it out. You can really control what it is that you want to think about. And I think for a lot of people, that's really, really empowering. So what do you do about these? What was the number? 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts per day. <laughs> I mean, you're not going to catch every one of them, that's for sure. Yeah, no, you, you definitely won't. 
But the ones you're aware of, you get to make the decision. I just want to clarify that. <laughs> it's okay to have 60,000 thoughts a day. Hopefully. Clearly some people are overthinkers, right? I mean, exactly. they have 60,000 thoughts a day. <laughs> Definitely. It's like, okay, maybe a little meditation, but let me not go there. At the same time, I think adding awareness to that, I think is a big thing. So no, you won't catch every single thought. But if you are aware of the thoughts that you have, especially the thoughts that are associated, and I'm wondering what you think about that, those that are associated with different types of emotions, particularly doubt, worry, fear. As you mentioned, most of the thoughts that we have are those that we mull over, over and over and over again. And so do you talk about that in your work as well in terms of you know, how to really just break that cycle, like stop playing that broken record? Yeah. So, you know, I talk to people about how those kind of negative thoughts can also be really important. So fear tells you a couple of different things. Fear tells you what you need to do and when you need to do it, right? So if there's, I don't know, an activity that I'm scared of doing, well, I should probably do it right now because fear tends to expand with time. The longer you go without facing your fear, the greater the fear grows, right? So you can use those negative emotions, those negative thoughts to your benefit, but you can also choose to just focus on the positive thoughts, right? So if I've got a negative thought that comes in and I catch it and I'm like, okay, hold on a second. Let me focus on a more positive aspect of the context of that thought. Exactly. So how can I see the same situation in a different way, kind of frame it differently? So what I'm hearing from what you're just saying is that whatever thoughts come in, they're not necessarily good or bad thoughts, they're just thoughts, or the emotions associated with them, they're not necessarily good or bad, they're just what it is. And so now there's a choice and a decision about, okay, well, let me see how I'm going to approach this. Now that I have a little more neuroplasticity, after reading your book, and after taking your course, I can handle it differently. I have one more question for you, Philippe, because what I do know about you is that you are just crazy about tennis. And that you were part of tennis associations at one point, if I remember correctly. And yeah, I mean, sometimes these kind of passions need to be put aside for other considerations and self-care and all this other stuff. And so do you anticipate going back to playing soon? Yeah. You know, the funny thing is just about half an hour ago, I called the National Tennis Center about trying to book a court for this weekend. And I'm a month out from surgery, so I still have to limit my physical activity. But over the last week or so, I've sort of gradually increased it. And I'm not going to do a lot on the tennis court, but I'm certainly looking forward to just getting out there. I'm going to take my girlfriend out, feed her some balls, and we'll see if I get to hit some balls also. But tennis is part of who I am. It's part of my story. I love tennis. I'm involved in tennis. I'm on the board of the Harlem Junior Tennis and Education Program. So I get to pass on my experience now to the younger generation. And I absolutely love it. So can I ask you, do you see a link? Because to me, everything is connected. There has to be a link somewhere between your passion for tennis and your passion for brain health. Oh, absolutely. So I wrote a tennis article not too long ago, and it really applies to all sports, right? Because I think sports give our brains what we need to be successful often on the court. And so with tennis in particular, you look at all these professional tennis players, they're all polyglots. They all speak multiple languages. They don't stay in one country for months at a time. They're constantly traveling. But because they're so physically active, their brains are constantly making new neurons and new connections and their ability to pick things up, including languages, is that much easier. So if Serena Williams wins a tournament in Italy this week, she'll deliver her victory speech in Italian. Next week, she wins a tournament in France, she delivers her victory speech in French. And so, yeah, I mean, athletes are really great examples 
of just how our brains are able to evolve, to change, and to adapt. Well, now I'm motivated to go to the gym. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) That helps tremendously. I never thought about it that way. That's beautiful. Thank you. Last question for you. Where can we find you? So you can find me on social media. I'm on Instagram at philippe.md. I'm on LinkedIn at Philippe Duyon. The same on Facebook. You can email me at philippedion at gmail.com. And you can find me on my website at the inleybrainfitinstitute.com. So I-N-L-E brainfitinstitute.com. So my book, Neuroplasticity, Your Brain's Superpower, available on Amazon. Philippe Duyon, thank you so much for being with us and for sharing your insights from chronic illness to just having a medical challenge and being able to not only overcome the challenge, but to focus on other parts of your life as a way to move forward and that, you know, having those kinds of illnesses, challenges, etc., is not the end of everything. In fact, could actually be a new beginning because it has definitely impacted your perspective as how you take care of your patients and the work that you bring forward in this world and how you connect the dots. I think this is a very powerful conversation. Thank you so much for being here. And I hope we can bring you back again at some point. That would be awesome. Thank you so much for having me today. Hi, I'm Dr. Jen Barna, founder and CEO of DocWorking. As a practicing board-certified physician, I know firsthand that time is our most precious commodity. I also know I wouldn't be where I am today without the support of coaching. As a decision maker in your organization, there's an excellent chance that retention of your staff is top of mind. At DocWorking, we can help because we deliver meaningful, confidential, affordable, and scalable well-being support to your entire team. In order to do that, we've brought together a team of expert coaches and a 24-7 care line staffed by experienced therapists and counselors available around the clock 365 days a year. We take pride in answering your calls with a person, not a recording. We provide success coaching designed to take minimal time, and we deliver it straight to your inbox every single week. Once your team has access to our well-being portal, they've got the option as individuals to use their continuing education budget to add on coaching programs and self-directed digital courses for continuing education credit and up their success game. This is not just for doctors. This is for everyone on your team. For help with things like stress management, time management, managing change, job performance, interpersonal conflicts, communication, leadership, relationships at work and at home, and more serious things like PTSD, self-esteem, anger management, anxiety, panic, depression, substance abuse, eating disorders, coping with grief, phobias, the list goes on. Having access to the DocWorking Thrive Wellbeing Portal is like a lifeline in your back pocket that you can call anytime, supporting you to chart the course to success and fulfillment on your own terms as only you can define for yourself. What if you and your coworkers could pick up a phone anytime, night or day, 
and make a call to get help with things like these. No matter how busy you are, could you benefit from a one-minute video from a top success coach every single week, plus additional resources and the ability to pick up a phone and call for extra support anytime? What if you could be part of a growing community of like-minded people to help you with things like strengthening your resilience, identifying what matters most to you, and accelerating your path to get there? Our team is already helping over 80,000 healthcare professionals. We're here to help you and your team too.